Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have The Amazing Spider-Man 2, starring Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone, Jamie Foxx, Dane DeHaan, directed by Mark Webb. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films as we unveil the fan-voted film in this cast, which is The Amazing Spider-Man 2 from 2014. And much like last week, we had a lot to talk about the the first Spider-Man film, and this week I think we have a lot to talk about with with this one as well. But Matt, what are we what are we drinking today here? Still working on the 1792. Uh, I've got a little bit left in this, maybe this cask, and maybe one more. I don't know. Okay. See how we do with this this review no, this is pretty good you know i like i like like i said last week it you know it has a complex start and then like a kind of like a nice palette finish at the end yeah it comes in big time uh with that uh charcoal-y mm-hmm. kind of peppery and then on the back end really kind of nice mm-hmm. uh yeah this is one i've really liked it's different mm-hmm. it's not the same as some of the stuff we had definitely is a unique style bourbon mm-hmm. Uh, this is one that's going in my cabinet of, of ones to remember. So, uh, how about the 1792? Nice job, guys. 1792. Here you go. Here you go. <laughs> well, excellent. So, to kind of keep the theme in with the superheroes moving along here, uh, usually for these flight and uh, nightcap questions, we, we have a little bit of time to prep to think about them, but we're actually going to do something different this time. We're going to do a blind flight. Oh, boy. Here we go. So blind. That's like drinking blindfolded. Yeah. But uh, staying within the vein of Spider-Man and superhero films, you know, Spider-Man's had everyone from Green Goblin to Doc Ock on screen to, in this film, another Goblin and an Electro on screen. So, Matt, you know, being that you're a very big Spider-Man fan. What's a villain that they haven't tackled yet that you'd like to see on screen? So this is one that I've given a lot of thought to, actually. I'm surprised that this is the question you're giving me. Okay, excellent. Um, I have a good answer to this. Excellent. You and I have talked a lot about the most dangerous game. Mm-hmm. Maybe not on the podcast, but to each other when it comes to story. Mm-hmm. And we love the structure of that. Mm-hmm. I want the most dangerous game with Craven hunting Spider-Man. Okay. Yeah. And it can be asphalt jungle or it can be jungle jungle, but there is plenty of opportunities for that to play out in a way that could be completely unique mm-hmm. to something that we haven't seen. Like a lot of times it's in New York City and it's building to building. Mm-hmm. If you take that away from Spider-Man and it's treetop to treetop. Yeah. There's other elements of this that I think Spider-Man could be explored. And maybe that works and maybe that doesn't. But if Craven is the ultimate hunter, mm-hmm. I really like the idea of the hunter hunting down who Spider-Man is. Mm-hmm. So uncovering his identity. And we really haven't played with that a lot in the films to any consequence. Yeah. There's been moments. Yeah. But he hunts him down, that part. And then upon catching him... Like as Peter Parker, yeah. then releasing him with some stakes. If I get you, this happens and it's probably his demise because that would be the prize winning pig in his hallway of captured animals. Uh, definitely. And if he doesn't, then he'll set Aunt May free. Excellent. Something along those lines. Or Mary be- Jane. or like I think that there's infinite possibilities with that. As much as I said last week how Spider-Man belongs swinging between the trees, uh, the, the skyscrapers in New York City... 
I think it'd be nice to see him out of his element a bit in a jungle jungle to see how he matches up against a formidable opponent. Yeah, that would be pretty good. And, you know, Jameson could hire him. Some other, like, Stendral person could, like, hire him out to, like, rid him of the spider menace. I do like that. It sounds a little bit Predator-like, too, like Arnold Schwarzenegger Predator. Yeah, I echo that same sentiment. And I don't want to rehash Predator because that in and of its own self is a fine film. But you're right, it does have that element, too, there. And in the jungles, with all of the natural prey that are pursuing any live thing there, I guess his spider sense is going off the whole time, and it takes that away from him. Mm -hmm. And I think watching him hunt him down could just be... Um, a bit more of a kind of a thriller more so than maybe action. I don't know. I think that I'd like to see that. Excellent. Well, one I would actually like to see, I'm actually getting him this summer, which is Mysterio. Yeah. So I'm actually excited to see how they tackle that. You know, the, the mastic of uh, the master of mysticism and this stunt man, Quentin Beck, like I'm excited for that. He's always been one of my favorite villains. So I'm not going to pick that one since it's happening already. I'm going to pick a villain that's actually been done in another franchise, but never with Spider-Man. I think he's equally tied to Spider-Man as he is with this other franchise, and that's the Kingpin. Yep. I don't think we've really seen that crime element within Spider-Man, but it's something that obviously can be played out pretty well with characters like him and Tombstone and, you know, Hammerhead and how they run kind of like the mob element in New York. But, you know, they, they, they did Kingpin in the Daredevil film, Michael Clark Duncan, and then in the Daredevil series by Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh... I uh, want to see that character here. And I wouldn't even... If they were smart, you wouldn't recast. I would actually like to see Vincent D'Onofrio play that character within this Spider-Man film. I think he's a great casting as that. That big, burly uh, man. Yeah, that's that's someone I, I want to see, but in the Spider-Verse. I think the one thing the Kingpin offers that the other villains haven't is that less-than-supernatural element that is more just street-driven and wisdom of trial and error through basic crime yeah and if the henchmen that you mentioned show up Mm -hmm. then you have plenty of rogues for him to fight as well Mm -hmm. so on the way to the henchman he's got to get through tombstone you could even put the owl in there Mm -hmm. can build it out however you want i mean i guess the you know anytime you have the kingpin you have to have bullseye at his disposal as well Mm -hmm. and you have infinite number of possibilities with that Mm -hmm. um i thought you were gonna give me the enforcers like (laughs) fancy dan and all those guys and the ox and the ox. I thought about that for a second. <laughs> I think that the, the in all seriousness, so I think the Kingpin is a really good choice. Yeah. Um, and I, I tried to pick a villain too who on his own could not only carry the antagonistic element. Like I could pick someone like Scorpion, but eh, I don't know if like he carries like an entire film just like, like himself. Like Kingpin can shoulder a, a, a substantial menace in Spider-Man. One of the things I always thought with you know, which we're going to get to later and the sort of teased out idea of the Sinister Six that never came to fruition mm-hmm. would be when you have a crime lord like Kingpin, you have a natural tendency to at least a Sinister Four just using his rogues gallery alone. Yeah. And if you apply the same logic to Craven, there's a lot of animals based in Spider-Man that are mutated, whether it's the lizard mm-hmm. or the rhino or scorpion. Like mm-hmm. there's three. Yeah possibilities that you could have tied into the craven universe that are just some some mutated thing that he's you know kind of fooled around with and, and maybe he's got to push him through like trials in the jungle and each one right. of those guys is a trial yeah marvel studios we want to write that movie <laughs> marvel studios we want to write any movie yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> to marvel studios letting us write a movie there you go marvel studios 
It's interesting, too, because last week I talked about, you know, taking Spider-Man out of the city, swinging through there. Yeah. And my wife was quick to point out, well, you're not going to get that in this movie either because he's hightailing it to London. So I don't know where the New York Spidey is. <laughs> I'm really, this is putting the cart before the horse a little bit, but I'm mm-hmm. curious to see how that plays out because in the trailer which we've just had the first trailer yeah. i'm sort of getting the impression like it's just a getaway that he wants to go to london maybe on a school trip because his buddies are with him yeah and it just so happens that he goes to london and mysterio shows up is there i don't know jesse that sounds convenient fighting hydro man it sounds convenient because it's got to be hydro man right yeah hydro man Sounds convenient, which should probably be the definition of the movie we're going to be talking about today. And just, oh, how convenient everything is. Boy, and how. All right, Matt, I'm going to need you to pour me a, another another, another shot for, for this one. Because we're going to get to happy hour time. It's what the fans voted for. We are going to get to our review of The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Bottoms up, you're going to need it. Amazing Spider-Man 2 opens up with a plot thread line that you would have to have seen The Amazing Spider-Man 1 to understand what the hell's going on. So this film picks up with clock cogwheel imagery, which if you want to say time is a theme spread out here, whether that be played out in the finale or... There's uh, not enough time to explain all these stories <laughs> or, that's it or right Peter's there. time. But it starts well with this, this clock imagery. And I know they're trying to draw parallels to the end sequence of the movie, which we'll get into. But it starts with this mystery that was the entire marketing campaign of the first Amazing Spider-Man, which was the untold story, which the untold story is the origin of Peter's parents, which... In the comic books, I'm I'm never like I just they were just never there. Right. I don't know if they ever went into it, but apparently he's some high-telling, uh, important scientist working at Oscorp. How convenient! I'm gonna be saying that a lot in this episode. And his mom's a scientist too. I'm that was never clear to me, but they have to go on the run because some Oscorpian hitmen or want to kill them because of the spider things that they created. I don't even know if we know that yet. Like that's revealed later and it does have something to do with their research. Yes. But again, it's just busy. Mm-hmm. Right away, it's busy. And we start off with a sort of pseudo flashback and, you know, Peter sort of longfully wondering what exactly the relationship was between him and his father and his father and Oscorp and him trying to make his peace with that. Who's really... Probably okay, mm-hmm. because although I don't love Sally Field as Aunt May, she seems to have done a pretty bang-up job with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and right away it starts, like you said. Right away we're with the briefcase and Richard Parker. And I love Campbell Scott. Like yeah. I'll be honest with you, yeah. whether it's Exorcist of Emily Rose or yeah. God Bless Singles and yeah. Cameron Crowe. Yeah. Like I'm a big Campbell Scott fan exactly. for whatever that is. Yeah. I really am. You heard it here first, everybody. I do. Yeah, I do like him, even yeah. if it's Roger Dodger. I even like that mm-hmm. film. Um, I, I like him, but I think what you said is really important. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man's history isn't so much what his parents did, mm-hmm. and it's certainly not the creation of what they did through Oscorp, which is a fairly new mm-hmm. entry 
into the Spider-Man legacy. Mm-hmm. I, okay, so I'm going to tell you, and we kind of talked about this last week. Yeah. It's my worry with the Joker. Oh, yeah. Doing a solo movie just about him. Yeah. Certainly the Joker is a bigger character mm-hmm. than Richard and May Parker. Yeah. But in theory, it's mm-hmm. a prequel and a movie that has so many stories. Yeah. We don't need it. Yeah. But it's going to be paid off, and I hope you'll let me have a crack at what the payoff is. Because as much bullshit as that is with Richard Parker, the payoff's even more bullshit. <laughs> okay. So we get this Jason Bornish fight on this airplane yeah. as the parents are disposed of, but not before 1995 airplane Wi-Fi, he's able to upload this file to the Roosevelt secret, and then they die. Yeah, what? I give them credit for attempting an opening sequence that didn't include Spider-Man. But again, confusing if you didn't see the prior movie. Confusing because you want to see this pay off. And I won't spoil what it is, but you kind of don't see it pay off. But let's 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 get into that. So, so can I ask you a question? Because I'm actually confused already. Okay. I just rewatched this yeah. this weekend. Mm-hmm. And... Does it open with Richard and Mayer? Does it open with the pseudo chase of the guy who will be the rhino in that getaway? Mm-mm. This scene first. God, really? Yeah. See, I can't even get that. All right. Because mm-hmm. that's going to be paid off, but also not really. Later. Yeah. The pseudo chase of the guy who will be the rhino. Before, who is Paul Giamatti? Yeah, Paul Giamatti, what? who's seen better days. But before we go on God, further, on, you know, I, we got to share your, your tales of seeing Spider-Man for the first time. I'd like to share my tales of seeing this movie for the first time because some higher power must have been speaking to me to, like, give me a sign. Oh, let me hear it. I want to hear we it. Went, we went opening night. Okay. IMAX 3D. I mean, we're blowing it up. Like, we, we didn't... The reviews were not... Like, we didn't know what was waiting for us. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Did you go that opening night because you were so in love with Amazing Spider-Man 1 or just because it was Spider-Man? Just because it was Spider-Man. Did you like the first Amazing Spider-Man? I thought it was serviceable. Certainly better than the third original Spider-Man. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you on that. And my point being that, like, man, that third Spider-Man is such a weird entry with some bad stuff in it. They couldn't possibly get worse than that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Are so, you sure? Yeah. So we're seeing the movie opening night, IMAX 3D. It's kind of packed, actually. It's pretty pretty well filled up. Okay. The trailers are going. It was actually a trailer for the Cranston Godzilla and it just the, the the projector just froze in the trailer. Oh, that was God telling you to run. Yeah, Godzilla telling me to run. Yeah, and they for about an hour and a half they tried to jimmy like work on something, but because it's digital film, it's downloaded from the clouds now. Films are like not real films. If this was a real film, it would have been an easy fix. That's well, because the internet connection on the plane was disconnected in the fight. So <laughs> yeah, there, get there, the full fight. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Hour and a half. He says, "We're sorry, we can't oh get God. yeah, we can't get the movie going, but we'll refund your tickets. You can come another time." So you know, I still really wanted to see the movie. So we went home, and then we went back the next day for like a 10, 30, 11 o'clock showing, and yeah, it's all that's all I'll say. Like, I'm shocked they made you guys wait an hour and a half to get it going. Well, and everyone was pretty hopeful that they would get it, get it get it up and running. That it'd be an easy fix, but wow. it wasn't an easy fix. Wow. So again, we we get now we get Spider Man swinging through New York, and I gotta say one thing, a, a positive I'd like actually like to to say about the movie is, you know, for every complaint Roger Ebert may have had about the physics of the Spider Man human in those early films, uh-huh. I don't think that's an issue here. Like the technology is much more refined, and this is actually some of the best web swinging that the franchise has ever seen. Like really cool sequences of him zipping in through this thing, and all right, I that's think fair. I think that's okay, done that's pretty fair. well, and. 
we go from that to the introduction, yeah, you're right, of Paul Giamatti as the rhino, but pre-rhino. And he's straight out of a cartoon, like, just yelling. It's just obscene. Alexei Sistovich or something? Sistovich, yeah. What? Like, I, I hope know. he fired his agent after after taking this role because he's just like, I don't know what he's doing. That was the first. That was the first sign of. I was like, oh, alarm bells! Like and he's stealing a truck filled with some serum from Oscorp. Yeah, I don't know what kind of serum though. Okay, so that's what I was gonna get to. Okay. It's a pretty elaborate chase sequence. Yeah, and whatever's in the back of that truck seems to be rather explosive, and they're like these little glass vials. And as he's zooming around through the traffic and knocking cars over and taking corners at ninety miles an hour. The guys in the back are trying to keep this stuff from flying all over. Cut to the doors open up. Those vials spill out. And Spider-Man goes through, I think, an actually kind of an interesting sequence Mm -hmm. where he's using all of the different parts of his body as an apparatus. And I love the one where the one's about to go out the door and he, like, catches it with his foot, Mm -hmm. the bottom of his foot. But again... He webs them in an alley... Right. And we never go back to that. That's what I was going to say. You just stole my thunder, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. He, We get through this big sequence, and I guess those matter because here's, here's something. Yeah. It could have been the extract of the spiders yeah. that's going to play out for Harry in a big way later in the film. Mm-hmm. But no, they're just sort of webbed to, like, what, a light, street light, and just left for the cops to find? Exactly. So what if one of those did break? Yeah. Do I- we have... Spider-Verse? Do we have, like, yeah. we don't know. Well, there was the Oscorp hazmat team. <laughs> In the middle of this chase, though, we're introduced to another character who's almost run over. They should have run over him. It's uh, Jamie Foxx as Max Dillon, the eventual Electro. I'm just going to state another fact here, just based off of my viewing of it prior and yesterday. Yeah. Jamie Foxx might be the worst casted villain in all of superhero films. He's straight Edward Nigma from Batman Forever here. He's so goofy. And I know they're trying to do a different take because I think Max Dillon in the comics is just kind of like an electrician who's like a bank robber. So they're trying to add something to him. But it's just so convenient that he's this goof that is saved by Spider-Man. And now he thinks he's his best friend to the point where he's making him a birthday cake. And he works at Oscorp, who just so happens to be working on the electric grid that's going to like be like an important thing later in the movie, kind of. So my question at this point was similar to what you had. Okay. If the chase sequence from Paul Giamatti and the serum stolen from Oscorp was just a contrived device to introduce us to Max Dillon, mm-hmm. we could have done that in a much simpler, quicker, germane way. Mm-hmm. And it's him sitting next to Peter and Gwen in the lunchroom at Oscorp. And then right away, we kill several birds with one stone. We set the tone for Peter and Gwen, which this movie is going to struggle with, in my opinion, the weight of what that is and the 50 breakups and get back togethers they have. And then them trying to figure out who Max is. Mm -hmm. And then Gwen trying to find Max once he becomes Electro. Like you kill all of that right away and set it up because he's overhearing their conversation and he's sort of the outcast weirdo, and they don't ostracize him. They include him, and it's just happening at a table. Mm-hmm. And they bring him in, yeah. and all of a sudden, we have birth of semi-stalker. Mm-hmm. Because for the first time, with the bad comb over, and the stupid glasses, and the high waters, yeah. and the misplaced, not needed, forgotten character, Max Dillon, finally finds some acceptance mm-hmm. from a really nice looking gal. Mm-hmm. 
nice looking kid, yeah. two nice people, yeah. and he's got friends. Yeah. But nope, Paul Giamatti mm-hmm. almost ran him over. <laughs> and think about this too, Jesse. Like, it's Spider Man. So, okay, it's Spider Man, but it's also, if it's Peter Parker, it still works the same way. Yeah. Because he's going to uncover that. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, keep going. He eventually stops the rhino, saves Max. Again, he's infatuated with Spider-Man at this point now. Because he tells him, you're my eyes and ears. Like, So he thinks he's got this important role, Max, now. And the, then the movie introduces us to the, the best person in the movie that's almost too good to be in the movie, which is, I think, Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy. I know, I think, but performance-wise, I think she gives a good performance... You know, I think she's something that, wor- at least her through line, whether it's their relationship that's iffy, I think her part in general works. And I just feel like the movie doesn't deserve to have this element in there because they're going to just kind of botch it a little bit. Okay, so I will say this. Yeah. From Kirsten Dunst yeah. to the new iteration of, I think, who's Mary Jane in the new Tom Holland Spider-Man. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then Emma Stone is Gwen Stacy. Mm-hmm. She's the best. Mm-hmm. Casted. Mm-hmm. And I think probably the best actress as well. Mm-hmm. Here's the trick though. Okay. In all of Comic Done, is there a larger sidekick, Axel Rose, Janice Joplin, remembered in tragedy and elevated to a place that's exalted than Gwen Stacy? It's an impossible cast. Mm-hmm. And again, it suffers from the same thing that Kristen Dunst suffered from, in my opinion, in the first Spider-Man, mm-hmm. which is Emma Stone has to have blonde hair, so they have to dye it, and Emma Stone doesn't have blonde hair. Yeah, they matter of sh- fact, I think she has red hair. She yeah. And Kristen Dunst in the first one with her fake red hair, mm-hmm. I just and she even in the face a little bit mm-hmm. looks like her. I I'm not crazy about it. She doesn't do a bad job. Emma Stone's a fine actress. Yeah, she doesn't do a bad job. To me, Jesse. Mm-hmm. One of the seminal parts in my young upbringing yeah. was watching Gwen Stacy die. When Gwen Stacy and everybody's out there rolling their eyes, like, "Oh yeah, another Spider-Man, stupid Spider-Man, Gwen Stacy fan." Yeah, like when Gwen Stacy bought it, yeah. the way she did, a little piece of me went through like an Elizabethan tragedy that still rim, like, still rings true today. Oh yeah. So to cast that, it had to be perfect. Again, she's not a bad actress. I don't know if anyone could have made me happy because bryce dallas howard didn't do it either yeah cheers to gwen stacy god bless you yeah who wrote that who wrote that jerry conway excellent thank you jerry yeah you're right just spider-man Hassan gives it away huh look it's pretty important max how do you know my name it's written on your badge i'm a nobody hey you're not a nobody you're somebody like that all right listen to me now i need you you're my eyes and ears out here all right all right i'll stay out there so in between all this, Peter is haunted by memories of Ghost Dad, Dennis Leary, who in the last film on his dying wish was you leave Gwen out of whatever crime endeavors you get into, which he's going to try and hold up to, but then eventually throws that out the window. So they graduate from high school, and again, here's this the first step of this on-again, off-again relationship. Mm-hmm. He's got to break up with her because of Ghost Dad. Keeps showing up all stoic. And... You know, you know the the relationship feels natural too because you know they were dating in real life, so you know that that kind of helps. It doesn't seem as like they actually kind of like each other, which yeah. kind of makes it more believable. Okay, 
But let's talk a little bit, Matt, about the writers uh, involved with this film. Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orsi, who, if you don't know these guys, they kind of uh, made their bread and butter on uh, the Transformers films with Michael Bay and then also with uh, J.J. Abrams' rebooted Star Trek franchise. Cowboys and Aliens is, you know, certainly in there as well. So they've had their hand in some very big budget films, but a pretty powerhouse writing duo, wouldn't you say? Yeah, for sure. And somehow there's four other writers attached in some way to this. Mm -hmm. That speaks to the problem that you sort of foretold earlier. The multiple threads and the convenient storytelling that is going to leave you wanting way more than this movie delivers. Well, why don't we just label them off real quick right now and then we'll talk about them. The mystery of Peter's parents and and this mystery Roosevelt subway. Peter and Gwen's relationship. Max Dillon working on a power grid and becoming the Electro. Aunt May working as a nurse. Rhino robbery and becoming the real Rhino. (laughs) Harry Osborn coming back to New York. Dad's dying. He is dying. And they need the spider blood. Harry and Peter's friendship. Oh my god. And that is... Rekindled after 10 years. At least. Harry running Oscorp now. The Mental Asylum Holding Cell, which is Ravencroft and its mysterious, sinister intentions. Well, and the doctor who looks like he just left a drag show to come work on his patients. That guy, did you notice that? Yeah, yeah. That guy couldn't have on more makeup. Yeah. What the heck? Gwen getting into Oxford. Oh, yeah, there's that too. Uh, Spider-Man versus Electro. Spider-Man versus the Green Goblin. And then also, and this was cut out, thankfully, but Mary Jane was also introduced into this movie played by Shane Lee Woodley, of all people. And thankfully, they just cut those scenes out because can this can the can the weight of this film hold up any more story? Right, and I'll even add two more to that. Don't forget the essential pieces where Peter is trying to figure out how to make electricity retardant webbing. Oh yeah, from YouTube videos. Right, and which is like four or five minutes in the movie, mm-hmm. and seems to be a big part of this. Yes, and then on top of it. Aunt May almost figuring out his identity a couple of times. I think she, I think she knew too. Actually, it's kind of that thing. Like she kind of knew when they were talking about the laundry. I was like, I think she knows. And you're just you're just lying to everybody now. And the last thing we're gonna tease out the Sinister Six before the movie ends. There you go. Mm-hmm. And this okay. So here it is, Jesse. This movie with what Kurtzman and Orsi chose to write in it is the death of Gwen Stacy. Mm-hmm. There's two pieces in Marvel Comics that are at the level of Gwen Stacy's death. The aforementioned death of Gwen Stacy and the Dark Phoenix Saga. Mm -hmm. Like when it comes to the death of Jean Grey or Gwen Stacy, I think they both hold the same hollowed place in Marvel's canon. Yeah, pretty big. But for that to matter... I throw the death of Captain America in there too. Okay. Yeah. All right. But for that to matter, for us to care Mm -hmm. if you haven't read the years and years of Peter and Gwen... It has to be developed in the film through one of, which had the possibilities of being a good relationship because they work together. Mm-hmm. Like a very strong chemistry between the two of them. And other than that stupid scene mm-hmm. when Peter's like leaning on the tree and they kind of are trying to see like what it might be like after they've broken up for the first time. And there's a couple more coming, by the way. Mm-hmm. What it means to sort of try to be friends who are former lovers. Yeah. They're not together. Mm-hmm. So how do you develop what's not together in a way that matters so that when she dies, I feel sad for Peter because he's by... You can't. Yeah. 
And that's the biggest problem in this film. Mm-hmm. All that other shit, the Rhino, the Oscorp, the Spider Blood, like all that other, the Richard Parker's stupid briefcase. It's If you're going to use that crux. Yeah, do it right. It's Peter's and Gwen's relationship because she's going to die. Instead of picking 12 of those, which I wrote had to write down here, you should have just picked three or two and focus on that. And then that's the amazing Spider-Man 2. I would have been fine if Electro was just the main villain in this whole thing. Yeah. It's just, you know, we we have to have our 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 iron in so many different, you know, pots. It's funny. So many though, different fires. You know, it struck me when you said that you saw this in the trailer for Godzilla. Yes. Because the title of the movie Godzilla is Godzilla. Mm-hmm. But frankly, the title of that movie should be Swimming. <laughs> because the goddamn lizard swims the yeah. whole movie. Yeah. So this movie kind of suffers... Not from the same lying title. Yeah. But as much as you don't like Jamie Foxx, yeah. I think he's a way better looking, the ultimate version of oh, Electro's yeah. better than Yellow Sparkhead with the green <laughs> costume. Yeah, exactly. And they do a really good job of creating him and he's and then they put him in Ravencroft for forty minutes. Yeah, don't I timed it to this time. How long is it? Thirty eight minutes in the dunk tank. It's pretty good. I just guessed forty minutes. Yeah. It's bullshit actually. It like, is. That's you can't have a superhero film where your villain ask Iron Man two, ask a few yeah. other. Fi- you, you can't have your villain locked up in confinement for the middle of your movie. That's when he needs to be blowing shit up and destroying the city. Like, damn. Yeah, they get that silly showdown in Times Square, wherever the hell it is, that lasts about two minutes. I actually kind of like that bit as as the introductory fight between good guy and bad yeah, guy and that, that means the bad guy gets away and they show up and duke it out again later no he gets doused with a fire hose and he's like defeated yeah it ends so stupidly but before that you know let's talk about convenience again is the theme because post-graduation they're broken up she's working uh gwen's working at oscorp now where max dylan works he's working on this power grid that's going to power new york city i guess and if you Blink, you missed it, but he bumps into another pretty big Spider-Man character who's just thrown away, Alistair Smythe. Dixon, can you... He creates the Spider Slayers, yeah. which are going to be a major battle and actually become, if I'm not mistaken, under the employ of J. Jonah Jameson at one point in the story. Yeah, that, that, that's something to build up, but he's just a throwaway Oscorp who's just... whole goal is to just be mean to Max. Here's the other thing, too, that's really interesting about Oscorp. Yeah. If that's going to be this nexus of where all this evil comes from, mm-hmm. then let's not forget to mention Felicia Hardy's appearance in Oscorp for like two completely meaningless scenes. And for those of you who don't know, that's going to become Peter's other best love interest later in the story, the Black Cat. Yeah. And she's thrown away as well. Mm-hmm. So you've got Smythe, you've got Dylan, you've got Daddy Goblin Her- Norman, you've got Son Goblin Harry. I'd like to say too, Daddy Goblin Norman, played by Chris Cooper, who's a very good Academy Award winning actor, and he's his whole scene is to be dying in bed. Like, what, like what a waste to just tell his son that you're dying. Too. It's in your blood, <laughs> but I think the spiders that we experimented on can save you. And this is what kills me. So. It's almost like we're jumping ahead a little bit, so yeah, maybe okay. I shouldn't do this. No, that's but okay. What what story are we going to tell? So we might as well jump ahead. The movie jumps ahead too. Like it jumps all over the place. So okay. So basically, um, Daddy tells uh, Harry, "This is in your blood, and it's going to affect you too." And he's dying from goblin disease. That's not what it's called, but essentially, goblin disease shot in an interesting way, right? Yeah, Where he is. looks goblin-y it's, it's, in the it's, light. It's very green lighting too. So it's like green leprosy. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. And then about 12 hours later, 
After Harry is informed that it's in his blood too, all of a sudden he has this sudden onset of green leprosy. Yeah, like, like two scenes later, like literally two scenes later, he's laying yeah, he's neck, got yeah, that yeah. scuff on yeah. his neck. Yeah. So Harry's 20, 20 ish. I don't know, 21 ish. No, they gotta be 18 because if Peter and them just oh, right, graduate, yeah, they just graduate. They're 18 years old. Yeah, he's 18. So, like, what? He goes through goblin puberty like that post graduation? Yeah. What? There's no lead up to that. And so, goblin, and now you're turning into a green leper. Now let's talk about this, too. Like, it's another great casting. You really like this actor, Dane DeHaan, as Harry Osborne. I loved Dane DeHaan in In Treatment, yeah. and I loved him in Chronicle. Yeah. He is fantastic in both of those movies. And it's funny, Chronicle, too, because as much as Mark Webb is miscast as the director from this, and I love top five, close, 500 Days of Summer. Love it. Mm -hmm. Like how he got this after 500 Days of Summer as a head scratcher, unless they really wanted to play up the Gwen and Peter angle, which whatever, we already talked about that. And then Josh Trank in Chronicle with Dane DeHaan. And I know it's found footage, but no one saw that film. I'm telling the listeners. It might go be Jordan too. Yeah. yeah. Go watch Chronicle. Yeah. It's terrific. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to see good Dane DeHaan, mm-hmm. I think it's season two of In Treatment. And Gabriel Byrne. Man, that show, that show had so much possibility. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so what happened? <laughs> That's interesting that you bring that up because I wonder if there was two different trains departing the station in this film. One wanting to focus on Peter Gwen, which Mark Webb would be aptly prepared to handle something like a breakup of sort. You know, that, that whole movie is about a breakup. Sure. 500 Days of Summer. Yeah. And then another train that wants to expand this universe, but expand it too quickly. And thus the Kurtzman Ortsy involvement, which is to set up a Sinister Six. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just told me before we got on the mic yeah. that this movie killed what was going to be Spider-Man 3, 4, and Sinister 6. Mm-hmm. Like, they had all of that set up, and they... Well, I'll save this other parting shot for later on. But mm-hmm. for what could have been between Josh Trank, Dane DeHaan, Mark Webb, and what never ended up because <laughs> this movie just didn't deliver. This movie killed it all. <laughs> killed it all. Literally killed it, the whole entire franchise. Yeah, so... And let, the writing team. Exactly. So, yeah, gone are the days of, like, Willem Dafoe's, like, really simple, like, plan of Oscorp and wanting to, you know, take down the Spider-Man. Now it's so complicated. They're all dying of spider leprosy or goblin leprosy, and yeah. they got to get the special blood now. It's funny because Kurtzman and Orsi did the special blood BS in uh, Star Trek Into Darkness with Khan's blood. You're right. So th- what's up with this fetish with the, with the with special blood? Oh. We well, you know what's funny about that too is when Peter's trying to put the pieces together on his dad. Yeah. And he builds, I mean this is so on the nose, the red taped web of pictures and cutouts that is so cookie cutter derived from every film. It's literally the same sequence mm-hmm. that Mark <clears throat> Webb uses in 500 Days of Summer. Yeah. Now it's architecture versus what is my father. Yeah. And by the way, we're teasing out 500 Days of Summer a little bit. I wonder why. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. We'll see about that. what to come. What to come. Mm -hmm. So to get back to (laughs) the other plot line of the movie. Which one? Six or seven? Yeah, take a number. Max Dillon is working on uh, some electrical malfunction in the Oscorp building on his birthday and he's electrocuted, and he falls into a tank of electric eels. So, man, help me understand this aspect, too. Is the Oscorp skyscraper being powered by electrically generated <laughs> animals? <laughs> they made it sound like those eels were, con- were, were controlling the, the running the power in the whole building. 
Yeah, it's very green friendly. So it's not clean coal. It's not even coal. It's just freaking eels, eels? man. Eels? I know. Okay, so then he gets stung by all the eels and becomes Electro Man. Can I just ask you a question? In that writing room with yeah. 50 writers, yeah. they couldn't have come up with a better idea I'd rather than he, eels? I would have rather Max Dillon, electrician, working on some power lines and he gets struck by lightning. Like, that's like way kind of simple but like this is like or just shocks himself yeah and attain like and gathers the ability to harness electricity yeah and then uses it because he's pissed off because peter won't pay attention to him yeah it's so much more simple yeah than eels the eels even fix the gap in his teeth <laughs> oh god it didn't even snap on that you're right yeah so 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 we, so we have that and now and i wanted to mention another thing so and and <laughs> Every other uh, territory other than the United States, do you know what this movie's called? <laughs> I, boy, where does... No. It's actually called The Amazing Spider-Man, The Rise of Electro. Oh my god, really? It's a stupid title because he's like of 10% in a 100% movie. Oh my gosh, are you serious? No, I'm dead serious. Look it up. It's either... Is it The Rise of Electro and The Fall of Gwen Stacy? It's The Rise of Electro. He <laughs> rises and falls in the same movie. Wow. So Peter and Gwen get back to kind of together for the second time in in the film, and as Max is kind of kind of erupting with his powers in Times Square, and I think a very choreographed action bit, which is something we needed. That we're an hour into this movie, and like we're kind of like we're we're kind of dying already. Mm-hmm. So this kind of brings it back a little bit, and it you know it's real fun. We see the you know the electricity and the spider bullet time, and he, he saves the people. It's all great, but again, kind of ends. On a bit of a downer. And something else I need to mention. If you don't pay attention to, to this scene and then the end sequence. They do something really odd um, with the... I'm going to just call them the audience. Okay. So th- th- it's almost like they stage like an event for these showdowns. Because there's like... They're not even police barricades. Which are like the little kind of uh, wood wooden barriers. They're yeah. like concert steel graded yeah. barriers that are keeping the audience out of the out of the crossfire right. and again at the end when the rhino's about to blow that kid they're behind these things and i'm like what the hell is it is this like are they like at coachella like <laughs> yeah when did they have time to set those up as everything's going to hell <laughs> like what right why uh, As the film wanes on, I end up, and I I don't do this in a lot of movies, but I end up questioning a lot of the decision making on on the characters now like at this point because now we're we're kind of jumping into peter's quest (laughs) he's like suddenly has the urge to go investigate dad's briefcase with this sequence that you just talked about yeah okay and so to that masterfully montage by philip phillips music right (laughs) so i guess we're tired of electro and tired of goblin leprosy and gwen's going to oxford so we go back to, oh yeah, the beginning sequence in the film, which is mom and dad on the plane and that whole bit. So essentially what happens is Andrew Garfield, who I think is a terrible Spider-Man. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. But I want to say, I think looks-wise, looks a good Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. 
And I think I've told you off mic before, too. He's actually the biggest fan of any of the actors to have played him. He's a huge Spider-Man fan. That's a head-scratcher because he plays it like such a hipster smartass and it's it. it's this it's But that's the Spider-Man they wrote for him. They wanted to do this John Hughesy Spider-Man yeah, yeah. that like just does not fly. Well said, John. Then that is well said. John Hughesy. Yeah, perfect. I, I remember, love it. I remember when they were trying to get the first one that's off good. the ground and they really wanted to focus on the teenage angst aspect of Ugh. Spider-Man, which... Look, wait a minute. The Hollywood is terrible forever at one thing. Yeah. And it's the portrayal of teenagers on the silver screen. Yeah. As someone who works with them for every day for the last 23 years, yeah. there is nothing that they get more wrong more consistently yeah. than that. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's say what you will about John Hughes, but those weren't accurate portrayals either. That being said, you can still do it well. Yeah. This doesn't do that yeah. well. So I, I can't fault Garfield. I think he's a fine actor. I just it's again, again kind of with limited to work with. I, I kinda say this too with Ben Affleck as Batman. Like I think he's fine as the character, but they wrote him like the worst version of Batman to play. Okay, so all right. Let's not talk about that. No, I mean, it, it's a fair point. Yeah, like, fine. I don't disagree with anything no, yeah, you said yeah, there. Fine. Like, Andrew Garfield is a fine actor. It's He's got shit to work I with. Meant, okay. let's, let's not talk about Batman versus Oh, Superman. all right. No, let's not. <laughs> um, okay, so he throws a fit mm -hmm. and spikes his calculator against the wall. And lo and behold, we get the big reveal. What's in the calculator, Jesse? Subway coins. Fucking bus tokens. Subway tokens. I'm sure glad he busted that calculator to find those. And, like... Why would dad have them hidden in a calculator? Um, it's it just, it's contrived and stupid. So now we forget all of the other story arcs. Mm -hmm. And can I take this for a minute? Yeah, go ahead. Peter figures out that the Roosevelt is the Roosevelt stop at the subway. Mm -hmm. So he rolls on up to the subway and he puts the token from dad's calculator into the little wheel thing, whatever the entry, whatever you call that thing, mm -hmm. turnstile, and nothing happens until from the recesses of the subway rail yeah. comes scientific subway car. Mm -hmm. And we come to find out, oh, that's where Richard Parker was doing all of his experiments off site from Oscorp. And then we get the other big reveal that the spiders have been infused with Richard Parker's blood slash DNA. Mm -hmm. So Spider-Man's blood slash DNA won't help Harry. And wait a minute. Oh, yeah. So this was back to Harry. Oh, we're tying it together. No, we're not. No, yeah. No, we're not. This is a scene that... <laughs> so if the blood never worked, yeah. it doesn't matter because Spider-Man said he wouldn't help Harry with giving him a vial of his own blood anyway. Yeah, so, yeah, he had already made and so what happens if he helps him? He's not going to turn into the Green Goblin? No, yeah. What What the fuck are we doing? <laughs> my, my wife wrote it. I had to write it down. So how does Peter find all this evidence, puts it together, and then discovers nothing? <laughs> that's the whole... Man, well said, Alyssa. That's the whole, <laughs> That's the whole movie. The teenage angst that plays out to nothing because they end up getting together and not back. The whole movie is filler. Bullshit filler. You create a villain you don't use. Yeah. You create a, a red tape diagram on the wall to waste my time so that he can throw a calculator and break it. He spends a good portion of the film designing 
electric electricity proof yeah. webbing. Meanwhile, Gwen says use copper, and we solve it. Like yeah. the whole movie is false leads and bullshit yeah. that never play out. Yeah, where did they get copper wiring there at that end sequence? Oh, whatever. Let's let's not get hung up on that. He's trying to find a battery. That he can attach to the webbing mm-hmm. that will absorb the shocks from Electro, Electro after their first fight sequence in Times Square or wherever that hell that barricaded area was. Yeah, yeah. And that doesn't matter either. Mm-hmm. None of it matters. This is Gwen, Stor- Gwen Stacy's death. Yeah. And you shouldn't be allowed to do this with these characters. Like, these are characters that have been around for 60 years. And to treat them like this with such... I'm going to just say disrespect is is a crime. Kurtzman and Orsi, and i got to bring Zack Snyder into this too because he did yeah, the same okay. thing in that other movie. They, they, they should be in prison because this is a crime. Like, How do you waste a mythology that's 60 plus years deep with fans that have been loyal for 60 plus years? And no shortage of source material to draw from. Yeah. What you didn't know, like... We need a good Spider-Man, Green Goblin, Gwen Stacy story. <laughs> I don't know where we'll find one of those. I got an idea, Mr. Garfield. Yeah. How about in the comics? Again, here. Jesse, mm-hmm. a subway car comes up from the recesses yeah. of the subway. Yeah. What? Yeah. And what does that have to do? Oh, don't forget one other thing, too. Mm-hmm. At this point in the film, Peter actually is starting to question if his dad might be... A foreign spy mm-hmm. who was trading Oscorp secrets mm-hmm. for espionage and international intelligence. What are we doing? Let me just jump on this train too because... No, no, don't you jump on the train. Nope. You jump on the subway. I'm going to jump on the Roosevelt subway. And Gwen's trying to get through her internship and she finds the files on max dylan who's the maniac in times square right and she just so happens to run into harry in the elevator to Uh. set up that tie together like it's just so contrived yeah matt we spend when we sit down and write a story together and we spend hours upon days upon weeks trying to figure out how to not make it so damn convenient. And here's the way we do it. Yeah. You have to introduce it three different times to the audience yeah. and then pay it off. Yeah. The first time primes them, the second time builds it, the third time reinforces it, and then it's paid off. Yeah. That's the rule, the rule of three. If you want some subtext or some subplot mm-hmm. to be played out, it's got to be introduced, mm-hmm. built, and reinforced in the rule of three. Okay. I challenge you. Yeah. Like, like this movie could use the rule of seven. Yeah. Which would make this like 49 different points in the film. If you say there's seven threads times seven. And it still wouldn't matter. Yeah. It's it's a sin that this film was crafted. Did no one read that script and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. This is too much. Mm-hmm. Yes, really? they did, because you said it. You know what they did? Yeah. They decided to yank out, ready for this essential piece, Mary, Mary Jane? Yeah. What? But the execs at Columbia should have even been more on edge, because the thing that, that really destroyed Spider-Man 3 was excess. Yeah, exactly. Spider-Man, Harry Goblin, or... Uh, Harry, <laughs> Harry Goblin. <laughs> it's fine. Sandman. <laughs> and Venom, Venom, Eddie Brock, and Gwen State, like, they had already seen this play out before. Yeah. And then they decide to do it the same, but then they're like, oh, that wasn't enough. Throw five more storylines in there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right. Hey, guys, I know you're listening to this, and if you haven't seen it, you probably have no semblance of story because mm-hmm. we haven't done a good job of telling the story. This it's an what, impossible story to tell. This is what it's like watching the movie, actually. It's like beginning, middle, yogurt. Yeah. There's no Actually, it's not even that. It's beginning, elephant, yogurt. That's the story linear progression in this. Or just to kind of give you an idea, it goes from like Harry Peter to Harry Gwen to Electro to Gwen Oxford, Harry or Peter Battery, uh, Peter Harry, Peter Aunt May, Peter Briefcase, yeah. uh, uh, Dunk Tank Electro, uh, Harry running the. It's just... Okay, so let's get let's try to let's try to wrap this up. At this point in the story, Electro's in a dunk tank in a place called Ravencroft, which is a ripoff of Arkham. Mm-hmm. And that scene is so distracting me. And frankly, I don't give a damn if you dress and drag. Drag you do whatever you want. Like you do you, and more power to you. Dude, that guy's really hanging you up, huh? <laughs> it's so distracting. Why does he like? He can be the torturous, terrible doctor. Yeah. He doesn't have to anyway. So they've decided the best way to house a human who can harness the power of electricity is hook up some nodes to him and submerge him in water. Here's the one thing I want to question. Yeah. When he became Electro, yeah. did he grow gills? Because <laughs> he would be dead, Jesse. Electric that's, gills. That's called drowning. Yeah. And he would not be a, like... Yeah, he'd be dead. So to suppress his power of electricity, mm-hmm. they submerge him with no breathing apparatus mm-hmm. in water. Yeah. So, so this, it's, at, at this point, too, now Harry's desperate to get some type of blood... And his board of directors is ousting him from his company that he owns. Yeah. But then Felicia tells him they saved some of the blood. It's downstairs. Before going downstairs, though, he makes a trip to Ravencroft. Yeah. Breaks out Electro, tells him, I need you, Max. And Max is like, oh, a friend. I'll help you. He kills everybody. Harry makes him a cool Thunderbolt suit. Yeah. When did they have time to make that? Right. They go back to Oscorp. They kill more people. He goes down and injects himself with the goblin goo. Uh, just, again, it wasn't going to cure him. Just so he can become the green goblin no matter what. So we could have cut out the whole Peter father backstory here. The whole asking for the blood when he could have just, I want the power, I want the this, I want the that. And he just goes in and injects himself. And another good point he injects himself with the blood, but then when he gets in the suit, the suit's self-repairing his body. Oh. Did you see that? Why didn't he uh. just get in the suit? Okay, so... I'm glad he picked that suit. What if he had picked Doc Ock's arms down there? <laughs> or Okay. I don't even know where to, where to tackle any of that, except we forgot one other part in the story, and that's Harry has asked Peter upon rekindling their friendship that has been on hiatus for 10 years to find a connection to Spider-Man through the photographs that he takes of Spider-Man at the Bugle in so far as can you bring him here so I can ask him if I can have some of his blood Just so because can... it has healing properties because my dad said so and the spiders that you're that Richard Parker blah blah blah, blah like there's healing properties in the blood. Just to have a scene where Spider-Man says no. So Spider-Man shows up so what could happen in that scene mm-hmm. is Harry puts it together like, mm-hmm. oh, that's Peter. Mm-hmm. Nope. Spider-Man shows up, cordially sits on the couch. Mm-hmm. They have a, a a talk. Spider-Man says, I can't do it. It's too dangerous. And Harry flies off the handle. And now he has a 
deep-seated hatred for Spider-Man and he's going to get his blood no matter what. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then all that stuff that you just said happens. Yeah. So then Electro escapes by way of socket in the floor. Oh, so he's got the power to travel through light sockets. He's like Dr. Manhattan now. (laughs) And then Gwen gets into Oxford. She's taking the next plane out. But Peter's going with her because... They're going to be together. They're going to be together. At this point in the film, they've decided to be a couple. And he's going to go fight crime in London, which is what this new movie's about, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. He's going to fight, but oh no, the power goes out in all of New York City. The grid illuminates. Uh, It's Max's grid that he worked on before his accident. And now Max is going on a little electrical rampage that's going to... Musical. Musical. Yeah. His musical rampage. Aunt May is freaking out in the hospital. These planes are going to collide in midair. Uh, it's just chaos at this point. And again, this battery thing, you know, they find a way to concoct the battery so that they hypercharge Spider-Man, which probably would have killed him if we're all being honest. Yeah. So he can like resend that power to Electro. That way it blows his, his little, him, his battery, his internal battery up. This is not specific to Spider-Man. This is specific to a lot of superhero films and it's, my big issue, as much as I liked Into the Spider-Verse, it's my issue with Spider-Verse 2. And I like that film. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. When the showdown occurs, it happened in Wonder Woman also. When the showdown occurs mm-hmm. between good guy and bad guy, all sense of geometry and plane and distance goes away. Yeah. And this power grid that Max has been building for Oscorp yeah. now serves as a conduit to supercharge him. So here's my question for you first. Okay. The more upset the Hulk gets, Mm -hmm. the more he hulks. Is there a limit to the amount of power that Max Dillon can take before he erupts? Because at this point, the nodes Mm. on his head would seem to limit that. When it works for the story, and when Peter needs to shock him and finish him off, but not when he's literally putting his arms in a very Christ-like and stupid allegorical reference. I really like that bit, too, when uh, Electro threw up uh, electricity into his mouth. Yeah. So he's, like, putting his hands on these these towers of electricity and absorbing and absorbing. Like, that's an... If that power grid shorts out the city, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure... That the power that he's absorbing is greater yeah. than the backlash of the power that Peter's going to shoot back to him through his webs. Yeah. So anyway, like flying, tower coming down, electricity. That part is actually aesthetically done well enough yeah, for I me that it it's semi-interesting. Spider-Man action-wise, I think the physics of it look very cool. And then Spider-Man tricks Electro into... Charging himself to death. Yeah. Electrifying himself to death. So that villain's out of the way. Yeah. Problem solved. <laughs> nope. Here comes my guy Dane DeHaan. Here comes Goblin, Sun Goblin. So yeah. So the green goblin leprosy has now kind of healed. Oh. But he's got a really fancy, like, streamlined haircut. I gotta make a comment right now because I noticed this when I first saw the movie, and I certainly noticed it when I watched it yesterday. For those of you out there that have seen Fright Night. From 1985. Evil Ed. Evil Ed. He's got a little friend there. His name's Evil Ed. Man. And he talked to... Good call. Heck yeah. Raise it up. That's so much... That's fantastic. That's a much better film too. Yeah. Evil Ed has this enunciation in his voice where he's like, And you betrayed me. Oh yeah. When he's a... 
And Dane DeHaan shows up here and he does like the triple take and he like figures out who Spider-Man is. Right. And then he pulls an evil head and he's like, Peter, you betray... He like... And he says a line and it's like, that's from Fright Night. So at this point, we're just ripping off everything now. Wow. Yep. You know what? That is so dead on balls accurate to complete theft i can't even believe i missed that that's really good we yeah should, we should do fright night one of these days to kind of side conversation like i'm that'd be fun that, that'd be what would be fun i love that film so then we're getting into the pen the penultimate 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 moment that we've been building up to and kind of cool the gwen gwen stacy's wearing the costume that she wore in that comic book mm-hmm. like so that's like a dead giveaway Actually, the whole movie's been a dead giveaway that she's going to die from her very eloquent graduation. coat. Her graduation speech to, like, this month. And every time, it's always like this, like, there's always this, like, carpenter of death just overhanging her. You knew it was going to happen, especially if she came back for a second movie. How could you not? So it happens over this clock tower, again, harkening back to this theme of time, or just not enough time. And, you know... They their fisticuffs there and the cogwheels and you know Harry's uh, Spider-Man's got her there. He disposes of the goblin, but not before the web shorts out and she's falling down with all the cogwheels and shit. Yeah, so Gwen's falling and Peter or Spider-Man catches her with the web as he's fighting off the goblin. The gears of the clock clip the web yeah. from Spidey's web shooter, and Glenn Gwen begins to plummet to her demise at the bottom of the clock tower. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Where the hell did this clock tower come from? Because aren't they still in I, the power grid? I thought they were in the power grid, and he climbed on it before the beginning of the power grid scene, so this, this almost looks like something you find in a zoo, like... Weird. Okay, I yeah. I don't know. You're, let, you're, let, you're letting that hang you up? Okay, right. <laughs> yeah. So we get to the moment, and I kind of tell you, they kind of, you know, this time watching it, you know, the impactfulness in the acting is certainly there in the passion of, like, I just lost my loved one, and it's kind of my fault, that Uncle Ben type of moment. But stay with me here. The brilliance of when she dies in the comic book is the ambiguity of that comic panel. Snap. Yeah, it's a sound effect. Yeah. So it's whether or not Gwen was killed by the goblin before she was thrown or Spider-Man, through the force of physics, killed her when he tried to save her. Okay, so look, the comic, for those of you that have never read it, is the Green Goblin pitches her off uh, the rooftop, like a skyscraper roof. Spider-Man catches her, but she's falling so fast, and the web catches her and stops her so abruptly that her neck whips, and she snaps her neck. Now, Jerry Conway has gone back and forth whether she was dead before she got thrown off the tower, or if it actually was Peter's web that caused her neck to snap regardless i'm gonna go with his web caused her neck to snap because if you can find that panel and maybe we can you know put it on instagram yeah that'd be good you can clearly see s-n-a-p underneath the arc of her neck where it's bent a neck snap she's like upside down that did not get put there on accident yeah regardless she's dead yes and that is tragic because He's going to lose his father in just a minute, who's Norman, who's going to be impaled on a cross of ten to proud men die. That whole sequence. And it's just cost him his girl. Like, that is such tragedy Mm -hmm. in comics. And for Mark Webb to tackle that is ambitious. Mm -hmm. And for them to write it. But it's different, isn't it? Why don't you tell them how it's different in the movie? Well, see, there's no ambiguity, let's say. Like, he's not fast enough and Webb, sir, but like not. There's like... He's got too much web on the line on this on this one, and she smacks the the concrete. So kind of like 
kind of webs her on the rebound off the, the yeah. bounce from the bottom of the clock yeah, tower, so, right? Yeah, boom. So obviously, so there's the ambiguity's gone. But then I think very well acted by Garfield. You know, the emotions there, you know, they spent two films kind of building it up. But, you know, we go from that to the mourning process. And again, I, it goes to what I told you, you know, we'd kind of get from like some like okay bits of like of them interacting and then into like schlock. So we get that again. Like we go from funeral to like, how, how did he get the body out of there? Where did they put it? Because had he not taken the body somewhere, she would have never been found. This, I'm letting that hang me up. <laughs> but, well, okay, okay. So then he goes, and then like, and then we're into setting up the Sinister Six. And I gotta ask you, and I don't know if this is in the comics. I'm, it probably isn't. Who's this Mister Hat Mystery Man? Yeah, they never said there was some stories that came out that it was um, Otto Octavius. That was the big story. Is this is Octavius? Okay. But, we see him walking through the halls of Oscorp. Yeah. And Oscorp already has the weapons that the the, the primary... It's been changed okay. a bit over the years. But the general Sinister Six okay. uh, what, what participants... I, what I saw, I saw the arms, the Octavius <coughs> arms. I saw Vulture's the Vulture wings. wings. I saw the Rhino, Rhino suit. Yeah. And I think... Uh, some like a scorpion-ish yep. tail. Yep. So like, which is pretty much the Sinister Six. I think and again, this, shocker. this is odd, just because like the Sinister Six formed out of like them already being originized in their own way, and they have a common enemy in Spider Man. Now they're gonna like have to like sub originize them to get. Again, are they handing these things out on the streets of New York? Like, oh, you look like a, you look like a scorpion. Like, hey, look here you go. I don't know. In Shazam, all you have to do is get like happy hands with a wizard, and you get magical powers. Maybe, so maybe it's, it's better a... we didn't get this Sinister Six movie because I'd like to. I would like to have seen how they were going to explain that. Fill up a wizard, and you get a rhinoceros costume again. So we can't even have time to grieve for this death. Because... Oh, but wait a minute! Oh, the movie gives you time to grieve because he literally sits there for five seasons. Oh, yeah, that's right. And they show like the backdrop of like day to night, warm to cold, fall to this, like. And he's just just standing at her grave, looking over it, mm-hmm. and they can't even be bothered to give a voiceover or like they can't even give a narrative of the better moments between Gwen and Stacy, like as a like a voiceover. But nope, it's just him. We're watching him watch her grave. I'll tell you this too. There's a deleted scene in his. Oh, yeah. His. Huh. Let's yeah. just save it. His dad actually comes and like tells him something. Like they probably should have left that in there at yeah, this point. Yeah. Campbell Scott could have saved the movie. <laughs> well, I mean, it would have tied up an otherwise untied up the end. Exactly. So why they cut that, I have no idea. And they actually filmed three other death scenes for Gwen, too. One where she was, like, stabbed by the goblin. That one that we saw. And then just, like, some other version where he cuts the web himself. He being Spider-Man? No, he being goblin. The goblin. The goblin, oh, okay. yeah. All right. So, and they actually filmed another... And they cut this art, too, where, like, after she's dead and she's dead down there, he goes back up to the tower and, like, beats the shit out of... Harry to almost death. That'd be better. That's right out of the comic. Like, comic yep. like, and today's the day you're going to die, Goblin. Yep. The decision-making, like, we've <sighs> talked about at nauseum. So the, the film reaches its climax. <laughs> They've handed out one of the suits to Paul Giamatti because he's uh, served of some, uh, they think he's of purpose now, to be the rhino in a ridiculous rhino costume too by the way i would have rather have seen a skin tight rhino suit than what they came up with so he's going on a little rampage spider-man comes back to save the day again they set up the coachella guardrails again for whatever reason and 
Is Spider-Man deflects the missiles with a, a... It just sounds absurd me explaining this, but this is... I'm not making it up. This is like... This is on celluloid film for the rest of the years to come. This thing. So finally the movie ends. <sighs> you know, the other... The one part that also kind of leaves me in a bit of a lurch is... Spider-Man, after Gwen's death and in between mourning at the graves and getting back in the suit has effectively given up the mantle because he's just so sad. Mm -hmm. So Paul Giamatti, who we saw earlier in the film, shows back up as the rhino. Yes. Marching down the street, and we have no idea why. He's just marching down the street with bad intentions. Okay? This little boy puts on the Spider-Man costume and stands in the middle of the road and says, I'm going to be brave, and I'm going to stop you because I'm Spider-Man. And then we get Spider-Man actually showing up behind him saying, hey, little guy, give me a high five and run back behind that barricade. But Rhino gives them time to have this moment. He was yeah, just well, like, I mean, he's, he's, he's blown him, blown he's him civilized. Away. Come on, man. <laughs> so, first of all, back to your idea, what is the barricade doing there? And secondly, what is it yeah. that makes Peter get back in the costume? Is, is he it, just bored? Or is it just Gwen's video yeah because he's watching her graduation speech yeah again they didn't build up to enough to 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 make it sound okay so we've done on this show before sour mash we did it we did it in glass where we could like kind of fix the movie like as we would see serenity yeah i don't think that movie was fixable no no either (laughs) but here's how i would sour mash the amazing spider-man 2 you know, we've seen... The Goblin is obviously... I wouldn't call him the best Spider-Man. But he's obviously the most popular. He, Norman's such well, a lynch... He's Spider-Man's Joker. Exactly. You know, he's such a linchpin, but they've done it so much that we kind of get it. I would have liked to have seen an Electro story kind of envelop in this way. And you got to get rid of this trying to set up the Sinister Six. And, you know, I'm not buying this Peter storyline of the with the spiders and that, but... You know, that's got to go too. And then really build up, spend the movie doing 500 Days of Summer. Yeah. Yeah. While Electro's electrifying and blowing up the town. Get Oscorp out of there. We can still have a clock tower moment. It doesn't have to be the Goblin. This is a movie. It doesn't have to follow. They, these comics never followed this, the comic storylines 100%. So if he kills Gwen, that's okay too. Well, I mean, what are people going to say if Harry takes the mantle of the Hobgoblin instead of the Green well, Goblin? Well, that would have been great too because I actually want to see Hobgoblin show up in one of these movies because at least it would be different. Right. I mean, people would be like, oh, well, it's never Harry Osborn, but at least it makes sense in a linear fashion. Mm-hmm. But nope, not this. And so, you know, it's funny you bring up the Sinister Six because at the end of the new Spider-Man, they tease that out again. Yeah, like they refuse to let that go. Yeah. And it's the sequence in jail where Michael Keaton is like, hey, I got a friend. That whole, Like, it's coming at some point. Yeah. Jesse and I were at dinner six, seven years ago with the guy who was representing us as a management sort of option at one point. And he had, well, his wife had been given a meeting, a big time meeting with big time executives mm-hmm. about writing the Sinister Six. Now his wife ended up getting an uncredited role for Ragnarok and then wrote Toy Story 4. Mm-hmm. Now, I hope I'm not letting the cat out of the bag, and maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but she took meetings on writing The Sinister Six. Stephanie Folsom took meetings mm-hmm. on The Sinister Six, mm-hmm. if you be- if we believe what she told us. Yeah. And I do. Yeah. Th- that was six years ago. Mm-hmm. So we're still trying to get there. Okay, so it's coming. Yeah. Back to what I was saying about you know Harry becoming the, the Hobgoblin. 
fine let him mm-hmm. at least it's a newer iteration that's in lo- he's from the goblin serum anyway yeah, he finds yeah the, he finds whether it's ned Leeds or whoever the hell else plays the hobgoblin it's the same thing that, and that's what i would think i would so this film ran into a bit of trouble that uh some other superhero films had and that's dc shazam and it's funny you brought that up trying to do too much to catch up so this film was obviously threatened again by the marvel studio powerhouse thinking well we'll just make our own spider universe but they didn't need to do it all in one movie like they could have built up to that because you know if you got the spider-man name attached people are gonna go see it and they could have done a venom which they eventually got around to doing and they could have done a sinister six but Jesus Christ, they put they, they packed three movies into this one movie. That was my lasting impression. So we fade out. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man has taken on the rhino after telling the little boy to get out of the way. And we sort of get, he's back. Yeah. Okay. And then he's ready to smash the rhino with, you know, a manhole cover. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> fade out. I just thought to myself, I figured out what it is about this movie. Yeah. This movie is Marvel's best attempt to pull off a DC-like flick. Mm-hmm. Overwrought with too many stories, dark and brooding, and completely underplayed in the areas that matter. Now, that the Batman Nolan stuff excluded. Yeah, This movie is Justice League, yeah. Batman versus Superman, yeah. Aquaman mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Yeah. About the, only one, about the only one that didn't do it would be you know, Wonder Woman. And we, you and I both agree the last quarter of that movie is garbage. Mm-hmm. But the first three quarters are really good. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that they're trying to smash in because they were behind. Mm-hmm. Like Marvel is ahead of DC. So they're behind. They're trying to get caught up. But Spider-Man's not behind anybody. He's your most popular character. He's a story himself. <laughs> Just yeah. take your time. Yeah. And they couldn't. Yeah. So this killed the franchise. This is the lowest grossing Spider-Man film of all of them, actually. And all plans were killed. And they loaned off the rights to the character to Marvel to use in Civil War and Infinity and and that. So so that's that with The Amazing Spider-Man 2. So let's get right to it. Again, our rating system. Rock Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. So Matt... How would you rate The Amazing Spider-Man 2? It's top shelf, right? Without question. Yeah, if my bar was like falling down on top of me. If I'm upside down. Okay. The worst movie we've done in this podcast since we've launched it is Serenity. It's not even close. Okay. It is now. <clears throat> this movie's rot gut. It's terrible. I thought upon revisitation it would be better. Sometimes I'll go back and watch a movie yeah. and I say I was too hard on that film. Yeah. I was in a mood or... Yeah, I don't know what. I wasn't hard enough on that film. Like I left the movie and I thought, man, that was bad. Mm-hmm. Okay, it really can't be that bad. You look at the scores on Rotten Tomatoes; they're like mid sixties. Yeah, it's not that bad mm-hmm. scored wise, mm-hmm. but no, it's 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 awful. It's awful, and it's just suffering under the weight of excess mm-hmm. in a very DC way. Here's the problem: sure. it's not a team up movie, Jesse. It's yeah. a single character film. Yeah. So to do that. Which isn't 15 origin stories trying to smash into one movie because you're 10 years behind the Avengers. Yeah. It's one dude. Yeah. It's Spider-Man. Yeah. It's rot gut. And it's it, it's not like, oh, maybe I'll be kind to give it well. If I never see this movie again, <laughs> it will be too soon. Okay. I would rather, this isn't really true, but yeah. 
I'd rather set myself on fire than watch this movie again. That's not true, but you know what I'm saying. It's true. I'm he's, he's dousing himself in liar fluid right now. I'm watching it happen. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's shit. I don't know if I if I want to go as extreme as as, as Rocka. You know, I, I feel like I've seen worse superhero films. Really? Well, hang on, hang on. Okay, so I'm gonna go well minus. Like I'm teetering. I'm, we're we're go, we're diving in there. There's a couple things that say it for me. Emma Stone's one of them. Some of the action bits kind of do it for me. And, you know, the handling, the emotional weight of the death of Gwen Stacy, I think, is handled with decent grace. Again, I don't think the movie even deserved to even toy around with that ending Yeah. after doing all of this. But, man, yeah, it's teetering on the edge of going into total Schlockville, like, with, like, Schumacher's Batman and Robin. Do I even say that in the same sentence? But, oh, the that's kind of fun like i don't this movie's not fun for me like it's like it's taxing on my brain so yeah because you're trying to keep track of seven stories i also want to say another thing on the podcast for the record too Uh the amazing spider-man or not no spider-man 3 sam raimi and toby mcguard their last hurrah gets a gets a lot of flack gets obviously so for emo spider-man and black suit and excess as well that movie's great compared to this one. No argument for me. I think that's like a step sideways for that franchise, and that's a story for another day. You know, Raimi didn't really want to touch the black suit and Venom, which, again, maybe you have a more concise story. But here it's just, man, they just threw everything in the kitchen sink to to this film. And it, they got killed for it, rightly so. I just think there's certain traps in film you should stay away from. Mm-hmm. Venom and Gwen Stacy are two of those traps. Mm-hmm. And this movie... I don't know. Dark Phoenix might be one of those traps too. Well, I mean, I was, you just took the words out. You <laughs> literally took the words out of my mouth. We'll find out. The first one was awful. Mm-hmm. And if you've read any of the reviews on this one, people are laughing at the movie as it's screening. People yeah. are laughing at it. Yeah. So there's just certain things that are best left developed slowly over three or four films yeah. and not in a standalone <clears throat> story. Um, yeah, I don't even feel bad about calling it rock cut. I love, and we've talked about it. Mm-hmm. Everyone that's listened to the podcast knows that he's my guy. Yeah. It's just so bad. I want to talk about, too, something you mentioned in the Mist podcast was patience. Yeah, okay. Have patience in your world building. If you yeah. want to have a cohesive universe, again, Marvel Studios didn't do it in, a, in one movie. Right. They did it over the course of 23 movies on Thursday. Yeah. Uh... You can't do it. Batman versus Superman suffers from the same damn thing. Trying to do all of it in one film. Mm-hmm. And you pay. You pay the piper. Yeah. All right. So let's wrap up with the nightcap. Might need another shot again. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah. Yeah. I already, I've already like, like four in with this episode. Thank you, Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So kind of harking back on villains. You know, Jamie Foxx is pretty forgettable as Electro. And, you know, Dane DeHaan to some extent too. So that's a shame. So, kind of thinking on villains, you know, there's a lot out there that really just don't make the grade. So, Matt, who's the most forgettable comic book film villain for you? That's a tough one because there's a few that I'm actually even struggling to remember their names right now. Um, Sam Rockwell's guy. uh, Justin Hammer. There you go. Right? That's my guy. I can't even remember his name. Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2. So Hammer's a knockoff of AIM, Mm -hmm. and AIM's a knockoff of Hydra, and no one even cares about Hydra. It's not even a bad performance. Just no one cares. Yeah. No one cares. It's So there you go. 
Excellent. Yeah, Justin Short. Hammer. Sam, I love, and I really like Sam Rockwell. I especially like him in like stuff that's not superhero related. He's real, except for Choke. Mm-hmm. I like Sam Rockwell, but yeah. that who? Yeah, Justin Hammer. Okay. All right, who you got? Yeah, if anything, like we could fault Marvel Studios for within these twenty-three films is actually probably a pretty weak slate of villains, apart from a few that really stand out, like a Thanos and you know. Warmonger. Loki and Warmonger. Even, I even kind of like Red Skull, too. Sure. Uh, who else? Um, like, yeah, exactly. So my choice is actually be from Thor the Dark World, and it's Malachite the Dark Elf. Like, does anybody even remember that movie, first of all? And second, do you remember the villain in that movie also? And that's a shame, too, because he actually gets to use one of the Infinity Stones as, like, his, like, weapon. And it's just so dismissive and forgettable that... Yeah, he just doesn't leave, like, a mark on you, like... I love when the villains leave, like, a mark, like, man, that guy, like, he really, like... Yeah, when, when Thanos snaps his fingers, man, does he leave a kind of a mark? Or especially when he kills Gamora, too. Right. And, you know, you know the great villains throughout film history, you know, that's what kind of separates the, you know, the good from the bad, but Malachite, like... I bet people didn't even know his name until I just said it now. But can, um, can, I, can I say something too, Matt? Sure, sure. So in Mar- that's Marvel's phase two of their cinematic universe. Yes. Mm-hmm. I would argue that for the most part, their villains in that phase two are actually almost all forgettable. So you had the pseudo-Mandarin and then the real Guy Pierce mandarin You had Malachite the Dark Elf. You had Bucky Winter Soldier. I guess that's okay. And then you had Ronin in Guardians of the Galaxy to Ultron to then Yellowjacket. Like that's that's a pretty kind of rotten slate of yeah who who are you really remembering in that in that bit there yeah I mean I it's funny I didn't even thought about Yellow Jacket that's how much I'd forgot about him too mm-hmm. yeah um, of all the ones we mentioned I actually and I don't like Ronin at all like, mm-hmm. I don't like Ronin in any shape or form yeah he's actually probably the most relevant out of all of them and mm-hmm. that's really saying something because he sucks yeah. It's weird though, huh? Because you've named all these villains and we, we've listed a bunch of bad ones and like Guy Pierce is the real Mandarin, which ah, whatever, like that's bad too. But yeah. um Marvel's movies are still successful. They're good because they spend a decent amount of time building up the characters with some really great themes that we can get behind, but they, they just forget to do the villain. You know what I mean? Like Well it goes back to what we were saying, I think with Shazam. Yeah. The comic book going, movie going audience is very forgiving. Yeah. And so they'll let you get away with a lot as long as the characters that are driving the story, that is the heroes, are well done. And Marvel's done a good job with that. So from Guy Pierce is Aldrich Killian, which is another version of Hammer as the Mandarin, to Malekith, to all of them. If you just can have a reasonable opposition, I think people are going to be okay. And that speaks to what you just said earlier. If Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2, is the lowest grossing of all the Spider-Man movies with one of the staples in the canon of villains, it speaks to how poorly it's done. And think about this, Jesse. Mm-hmm. That movie still rebounded with a really strong performance when it was rebooted with Tom Holland yeah. as Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know... It brings up one other point. And the reason that we chose to do this podcast as the fans vote is we wanted to give everybody a couple weeks to see Endgame. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, I think, a conversation that's being had across 
continents right now. Yeah. And it's after 23 films and the payoff of what's coming with Thanos. Because mm-hmm. they're not going to reuse Thanos again. Oh, yeah. What's next? I know you and I both have our, our beliefs and they yeah. both revolve around Doom. Yep. And there's some rumors like with the Mandarin and Doom and things like that already. But those are just rumors. Yeah. It's a huge mm-hmm. mountain that Marvel has to climb. Excellent. So we've arrived at the moment. Endgame is here. Thanos is coming back. The Avengers have to rectify this in some way. I'm excited to see this movie. I was very surprised by how good Infinity War was. And I'm excited to see how they're going to you know, fix this mess that they're in. I'm also kind of nervous too because I did really like Infinity War. And I don't want this film to erase the good parts about that. Obviously, time travel, I think, is going to be some type of component with Scott Lang and the quantum realm and whatever. But oh, be careful with the time travel aspect, too. That's, that gets a little kind of dicey dicey there. So it still doesn't kill my excitement. It's probably one of my most anticipated of the year. So, yeah, bring it on. Bring it on. Yep. So you got that coming next week. But uh, until then, cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. We got to get going. Uh, obviously, not to watch The Amazing Spider-Man 2 maybe ever again. It's in it's in my box set. Like, <laughs> I should just get rid of that box set. Yeah. It's kind of like why I have the Indiana Jones tri- or series on box set is to have them all on Blu-ray, but I have to own Crystal Skull at the same time. <laughs> so, yeah, you take the good and the bad, and what are you going to do? That's what makes it great. That's what makes this whole journey so much fun. Exactly. So it's the surprises that we get with prisoners mm-hmm. and the disappointment that we get with like Amazing Spider-Man Two. That's the uh, the learning lesson of this episode, listeners. Is they can't all be winners, and it makes the winning that much better because the bitterness of the defeat is so 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 tough to take. Excellent. We'll see you next week with Avengers. Endgame. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rise Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Or leave us an email at risemileproductions at gmail.com. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is property of Sony Pictures Releasing, Columbia Pictures, Marvel Entertainment, Arad Productions Incorporated, and Matt Tolmack Productions, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Everyone in this city is going to know how it feels to live in my world, a world without power, a world without mercy, a world Who are you?